Hey guys, today is a bonus episode originally recorded for the Remotely Serious podcast hosted by Curtis Duggan. Now, Curtis was a previous podcast guest on the My Latin Life podcast, episode 52, so you guys can go ahead and check out that old episode as well. But without further introduction, the tables are turned and Vans is having a discussion with Curtis Duggan on the Remotely Serious podcast. Go check out the Remotely Serious podcast as well. A lot of overlapping guests and overall good podcast for digital nomad excellence. Enjoy the episode, guys. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Remotely Serious. My next conversation is with Vance from My Latin Life. And the My Latin Life brand is something you may have already encountered on social media. They post consistently and have their own podcast about life in Latin America. And Vance has interviewed hundreds of people on his podcast about their their travels and their journeys getting to South America and traveling throughout Latin America, so South and Central America, and even you know Portugal and Spain in some cases, the, the Latin life brand encompasses a lot of places and a lot of countries. So he's got a very wide breadth of knowledge on a lot of things. So I'm excited to jump in and yeah, here's the conversation with Vance. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Remotely Serious podcast. I'm here with Vance from My Latin Life. And My Latin Life is a, uh, is a growing brand. It's been around for a while. It's a, um, you, you state it as the trusted guide or your trusted guide to traveling and living in Latin America since 2014. I actually think the since 2014 part is uh, therein, therein lies a tale. There's, there's, there's a story there because I was listening to, I've been listening to a lot of episodes of my Latin life. So Vance, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have you on the pod, but there was thank one you, episode. You. Oh, no, you're welcome. No, I'm a, I'm a long time listener, a one time caller when we did an episode together. And, uh, but, but I started to hear something. I was vaguely aware that this was a, this was a great brand that you had, had taken over. But then I heard something when you were talking to one of your guests about the OG Vance or the other Vance. And I was like, uh-huh. Well, what the, what is the, what does that mean? Like, and and then I I actually went and heard a, an episode that's out there for everyone to listen to, which is your my Latin life episode with quote unquote as I learned when I listened to it the original Vance. So I was like, I became aware maybe later than I should have. I was like, oh okay, this is like it's like James Bond, you know, that certain actors play the Vance, but then you know there was a Sean Connery, now there's a Pierce Brosnan, like it's a it, it passes down through the generations. So I was just curious, you know. Uh, it looks like you took it over recently in the last couple of years, but it's been around since 2014. So I just thought it'd be, a, you know, a, a good place to start to kind of understand uh, my Latin life, but also your custodianship of it when you took it over and the details you're able to share about how, how that came to be. Yeah, that's funny and uh, very observant to you. Uh, yeah, I guess as you can discover, there, there's layers to this uh, and most people don't know that there is an OG Vance. And a newer Vance, and uh, I suppose I would be the newer Vance, and I very much like the James Bond analogy because I guess kind of the idea is that there's a little bit of Vance in everybody, there's a little bit of James Bond in everyone, and it's a character uh, that uh, is assumed by uh, a couple different personas, and maybe they'll... I've even had ideas of having like a female co-host and having her have uh, a different code name and okay. <laughs> just bring bring like a new dynamic to the podcast. Vancita. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Vancenessa. I don't know. Yeah. 
something like that. <laughs> yeah, Vance Nessa. Um, but yeah, your your podcast it's built up a really great reputation. Um, I actually do think I think you do something that's really interesting. So the brand is about uh, empowering, educating, getting people excited about, and informing people about all kinds of opportunities to live, work, and emigrate, and move, and find residencies across the Latin American universe, and even in some ways, mm -hmm. you know, incorporating some of uh, Spain and Portugal and the Mediterranean, but but mostly with a focus on on Latin America. And I think something you do that's really interesting with your podcast is you have a very broad spectrum of guests. I listen to several different, you know, remote work, uh, sovereign individual podcasts and creators and properties. And you, you'll have everyone on from like the hardcore libertarians that are like, you know, well, I've created my own nation state to get some crypto <laughs> to, I never want to pay another dollar to uncle Sam, but you'll also bring on like Chase Warrington. Who's like, yeah, man, I just, I just work for a, a remote startup and remote work is cool, man. Like, and, and it's not, and you know, not so political, a little bit more political. And then just people that are like experts on where to put gold bars. And it's, it's not just passport bros. It's not just digital nomads. It's the broadest range of guests I think I've ever seen in a podcast in this wide genre. So I'm just curious, you know, have you ramped up how many guests there were like pre and post 2022? But um, I guess I'm kind of giving you a, a layup on like, hey, your your guest strategy is awesome. Why are you so awesome? But that that's kind of the the, the layup question for you to alley oop. Like, how did yeah, you? No, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And uh, I think we do take pride in having a interesting range of guests. I think everyone is tangentially related to uh, the themes that you mentioned, remote work or Latin America, investing in Latin America, uh, things like that, just, you know, different angles. It's good to have some days have some days have some guy that went to every country in the world. And then the next week you have a tax advisor that's sitting at home in New Jersey, but he does the taxes for all these crazy expat adventurers. So you kind of get everything on the on the spectrum of of uh, you know of of expats, I guess. Uh, so to your question about uh, the frequency, uh, I actually picked that up from our mutual friend Mitko. Um, I, I was asking Mitko, I was like, "Hey, how are you growing your thing, your podcast?" Uh, so shout out to Mitko's podcast, That Remote Life. But he said he said amp it up from one a week to two a week, and I was like, you know what? I could totally do that. I have a massive backlog anyway. So, uh, so here we are two a week. That, that often seems like a genre of business advice in terms of, you know, I'm, I'm getting some success. I'm starting to grow and I'm starting to see things are working. Hey, wh what should I do? And the answer is often just like from a mentor or something or someone that had some experience. It's just, oh, if something's working, just do more. Yeah. Double it, triple it. And uh, as simple as that is, it's often just getting that kick to be like, oh yeah, okay. I'll just do twice as much and then I'll grow faster. Um, it's as simple as that sometimes. I, I think it's, you got to be on to something first. You know, it's got to be working for one for it to work for two. Uh, but I definitely, yeah, I, I, I listen to my Latin life at the gym and I noticed that like, oh, I've got more queued up than usual. At some point, whenever you made that switch, <laughs> I was like, oh, I got, I got a backlog here. And they're, and they're, and you're, um, you know, often in the two hour range, you'll, you'll take people on a long journey in a, in a very fruitful journey across all aspects of your guests. Um, so it's definitely, uh, it's like a nice long steak dinner. Thank you. No, it's, it's, it's great hearing this feedback. Uh, and sorry if this is a boring introduction to everyone for the podcast, but we're just jamming here. And it's great to get this feedback because none of my real life friends really listen to the podcast and I don't really overly solicit feedback on the episodes all that much, be it on Twitter or uh, from hardcore listeners or anything. I just put it out 
and the numbers are pretty good. And uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm like the most, I'm like low involvement, I guess, in my own podcast. Kind of funny. What is the media company or the business model of My Latin Life? I'm literally just thinking, do I hear ads a lot on My Latin Life? And I've, I don't think you, you're not, it's definitely not packed with ads. So we do have ads now uh, recently. I mean, uh, we have two sponsors as of the recording of this. We have Language Blend and Bit Refill. So mm-hmm. one Language Blend is for learning Spanish and then Bit Refill is for buying gift cards with crypto. Uh, which which is a pretty cool tool for digital nomads. And so, yeah, we've had some some sponsors, uh, which uh, you could say keeps the light on. Um, it's not nothing groundbreaking, but it's cool. So what originally motivated you to create a Latin American focused media brand as opposed to just living the life and making doing some other Wi-Fi money business. Yeah. Well, it's not my, it's not my primary business. Uh, so I do do other stuff. And then this is kind of just like the, the hobby thing. Oh, nice. Uh, so it's been about a year and a half now that I've been doing the podcast. So we're up to about 90 episodes published at the time of this recording. And, you know, there's another like 10 in the backlog already recorded. Um, did one earlier today with wealthy expat who's pretty well known from YouTube. So I was pretty happy about that. He's, uh, pretty sought after guest, I, I would like to think. So happy about that. But yeah, man, I think uh, it's coming from a place of passion and fun. I mean, I've been doing the Latin America thing and full-time digital nomad life for a long time, uh, longer than most people. And I think we have a, a pretty unique kind of positioning in terms of Latin America and digital nomads and expats. And we're going to mature over time as well. I think, uh, you know, we're going to be we're constantly kind of professionalizing more. I recently went to uh, the IMI conference in Malta, the investment migration and in, what's the I, final I for it? Insider. Uh, the, but anyway, the IMI daily conference in Malta. And, you know, it's all the, I go there uh, like a month ago and it's like all the big wigs and the heads of the investment migration companies. These are the people that sell the Malta passports for a million bucks. They sell the Caribbean passports. They do residencies, you know, all over the world and kind of the, you know, the firms that facilitate investment migration and golden visas all over the world, including Portugal and the rest of it. So um, kind of getting more onto the uh, professional side of the industry and the real estate investment side of the industry. uh, That's kind of where we're going a little bit more. Got it. Well, maybe let's dive right into that uh, as a topic. So investment migration, you can correct me, but I, I assume that it refers to all of the various programs where there's some form of financial investment or purchasing a real estate property of a certain valuation that leads you to get either residency or citizenship uh, very quickly or faster than you would through some other means. Um, like, mm-hmm. you know, $135,000 or euro property gets you X, you know, Portuguese residency or citizenship later, or St. Lucia or some Caribbean island. Right. Often it can happen very quickly. That that's what that conference is is that's what investment migration refers to. Yeah, pretty much. I think that was a an excellent Wikipedia definition of it. <laughs> is there is there like that's the Wikipedia definition, but like behind the scenes or down on the boots on the ground, it's it's something else or it's different, like or there's more to it. I mean, it is kind of like that. It's a very, um, it's a very boutique industry where no one player has a significant market share. There are a couple big names like Henley and Partners, uh, Arts and Capital. Uh, so there's a couple players that have been around for like, you know, 15, 20 years, maybe longer that have kind of shaped the industry 
and actually helped in some cases help these governments create their own immigration processes and and systems and incentives. Uh, so some of the companies actively help the government, and then of course other people are just like facilitators. And so you know it, things look a little bit different on every continent. The global landscape is always changing in terms of migration, as you might expect. In Latin America, it's a little bit different than Asia and Europe and stuff. And uh, I guess all the differences is what keeps it fun. Yeah. What I'm wondering, and, and this is somewhat from an outsider's point of view, but with all of the various remote work visas, which you know they, they have pros and cons, and mm-hmm. they're, they're inadequate in some ways, but they're, they're starting to exist more and more. I'm wondering about the next five to 10 years where there was a situation where you can, you know, you need to buy a 250,000 minimum euro property and then you get residency or citizenship. Now there's more programs, more flawed programs, but there's more programs where it's just, hey, prove you can make $2,000 a month on a nomad visa and you also get residency. And I'm just wondering if the, the lower stakes remote work visas that are just like, yeah, just prove your income. And people's like, great, that now I don't have to pay 200 grand to buy a condo or something in Montenegro. I can just prove two grand a month and still get there. Does that does that change the dynamic of these this era of the the investment migration real estate, or is it or is it is it bigger than ever? You know, is that are they are they not as related as I think? Yeah, there's definitely a bunch of ways I could answer that, but I would say that most countries have an option to buy real estate or otherwise invest a lot of money and get residency that way. And then most countries have other options where it's more like uh, you get a job in the country and so you need a visa to you know accept the job or uh, retirement visas, also known as pensionado visas or independent means visas, non-lucrative visas. Of course, there's digital nomad visas and these ones that you're not really investing a lot of money. I would say they're, you know, they're kind of, they're certainly related, obviously. Um, and I would say that they're, they're different tools that governments and economies in different places in their economic cycle are going to use at different times. So for example, a country like Portugal, which had like a terrible drop in real estate prices and stuff like that, they, impl- they wanted to incentivize real estate. They do the golden visa, buy the house, 250K, get the visa. Cool. But once a economy gets overheated, like like we've seen in Canada or like we're seeing now in Ireland and in Portugal, it becomes less politically popular to have golden visas where you're just buying houses because basically what happens is just deep-pocketed Chinese and East Asian people come in and it's you know nothing for them and they're just getting these visas, but they really have no intention of actually spending too much time there. It's just like a plan B or maybe they send their kids there for college or something like that. And so I think what you're seeing is there will always be certain countries that will uh, incentivize golden visas that way, but we're finding that it's a little bit politically unpopular. And what we're seeing is more of a push towards the type of visa where there's more physical presence and where you know, you're spending time in the country to maintain the visa and sort of work towards citizenship that way. At least that's sort of the mindset in the EU is they just, they, they think that citizenship is something that's kind of more cultural and should be earned and not something that you can just buy basically. Got it. So, so a lot of your guests are people who have experience maybe broadly across Latin America, but often they staked out a claim, I guess is the right way to put it, 
on a certain country. So there might be a Paraguay expert, or there might be a Brazil expert. And I'm not, I'm not, not saying everyone's like this, but there are certain people that have uh, kind of uh, promote sure. a certain country. Argentina, you know, is another one. Mm-hmm. Bowtie Argentina, uh, you know, um, Lawrence, uh, the various people that you've had on your podcast. I encourage people to go check out the back catalog. Um, you get to have this broad index of talking to everyone and you have a claim or you, you, you put out a brand on the Latin part, um, but you can you know, look, hear from everyone on all of these countries. So in 2023, after several cycles of you know, Latin American immigration, Latin American adventure and exploration, and uh, now uh, a very you know, a growing and established culture around uh, exploring sovereign movement, uh, you know, opportunities in the sovereign individual movement and residencies and passports, mm-hmm. is there... Are there certain countries that are better than others now, right now in 2023 across Latin America that just stick out like you've heard it all, such and such country or, or, or another is, is definitely more attractive than others for the, for the emigration movement, the passport movement, the residency movement? I think uh, it depends on a couple things, of course. It depends where you're coming from and what passport or citizenships you have already and where you have residency already. Uh, So, you know what I mean? Obviously, for an American, the opportunity set is going to be a little bit different than even for a Canadian, largely due to citizenship-based taxation. But then also, they might just have little quirky differences, like Americans have certain treaties with like the Netherlands and, and things like that. So the opportunity set that you have is a little bit different. Like You kind of have a different chessboard to play with, depending on what what your job is, what uh, citizenships you have, how you earn income, what type of income or savings you're able to demonstrate or move around, right? Because, for example, there's ones you can get with like a uh, investment in bonds or like certificates of deposit. Long story short, the chessboard looks a little bit different for everyone, uh, but everyone's going to have commonalities as well. And I think a base in Latin America, meaning getting a residency permit in at least one Latin American country is a good idea. I think the Latin American countries have pretty much no downside. And there's really quite a lot to choose from. Central America is attractive to a lot of people. And then South America is attractive to a lot of people, the Caribbean as well. Uh, But I think at least one residency permit in somewhere in Latin America is a good part of anyone's strategy. Where does Mexico fit in all this? Is it because of its size? I'm just wondering about uh, the ability to kind of get back to places, you know, there are places like the Southern Cone that are, I'm sure, wonderful, but they're further away from Europe and Asia, North America. And then Mexico, you know, in in some cases, it's like an hour and a half away from certain American cities. Is it kind of Mexico is gas giant that's kind of like 50 to 60 to 70% of the interest, and then everywhere else kind of compares to Mexico? I've brought, I've kind of built that up in my mind, like Mexico is huge and everywhere else, there's lots of great opportunities, but they all kind of in aggregate are about equal to this amazing interest in yeah. Playa, Mexico City, well, et cetera. And, and you got to re- remember that that's Mexico is really for Canadians and Americans because it's, it's not as easy for Europeans to get there. In a lot of ways, it's actually easier for a European to get to Brazil than it is to get to Mexico, just in terms of direct flights and so forth. They've opened up more to Cancun, but like flying into Mexico City from Europe is traditionally like pretty expensive. So that's one thing is that Mexico is more of a play for Canadians and Americans. But that being said, 
obviously if the direct flights or whatever isn't a big deal, Mexico is really great for everyone because it's a very easy residency to get. It's and it's also very easy residency to maintain in terms of low physical presence requirements to maintain it. So it's easy to get, easy to maintain, and there's really not much downside to having it. So uh, Mexico is a good base for everyone for sure. In 2020, 2021, and going into 2022, the Western world or the the G7 world itself was having an insane tech, tech money, internet money, internet business, internet marketing boom through and crypto boom. I should say in, in crypto and a lot of the, the Venn diagram of the audience that's interested in sovereign residency in Latin America and crypto is there's some overlap there. For sure. And, you know, the circles overlap. And 2022, late 2022 and late 23 have seen a big retrenchment in just layoffs of the kind of remote jobs that might send people to, you know, remote work places around the world. Crypto crashed. It's having a little bit of a renaissance this summer, uh, but it's nowhere near what it was. Uh, do you see a slowdown in the excitement of your audience? Do you hear about certain legendary bros that were killing it, but then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, they went they went back to Regina or like, legendary <laughs> bros. you know, I, I thought they were killing it, but they went back to Melbourne or you know whatever it is. I, I you're you're much more boots on the ground. In yeah, I got my, I got my ears to the streets of yeah. the legendary bros. Legendary uh, bros. Because I, I, I mean, I'm not going to call anyone's name out, but I'm like, oh yeah, I heard about that. Just, just some random person that was like, yeah, I go here, I go here, and then they're like, oh yeah, well, they, they got a job. They're back in Toronto at Shopify or whatever, and then, <laughs> which is there's nothing wrong with that, but but it's kind of like I'm just hearing these tiny little anecdotes, and I'm like, is there a certain era that lasted maybe the COVID golden years of? exploring that might be on a wane. Yeah, I think my thought my I think my thoughts on this is that the the percentage of the US economy or the world economy that works remote is going to steadily trend up into the right. Kind of just like a market. It's going to be like the chart of the stock market. It's going to go down sometimes. You know what I mean? It's going to have down years, but it's going to overall trend up into the right just because we're getting more technological and more work is going to be online. What did we like over move online due to the events of 2020? And then we're sort of course correcting, probably, but we're still course correcting to a percentage of remote workers that's still way higher than it was in 2019, right? So it's it's certainly grown a lot in the past uh, number of years. And it's not going anywhere, man, especially you see all these anecdotes about just you know, whether it be the central bank digital currencies or just carbon taxes or all these like insane ways that we're losing our freedoms uh, in in Europe and in North America, I think just more and more people are over time going to um, going to appreciate the safety or the the freedom, sorry, of life in Latin America. You said safety and then backtrack to say freedom. That's actually a good point because I meant, uh, yeah, I meant I meant safety from government. <laughs> yeah. The biggest stereotype, though, um, which you probably are wanting to debunk, or you know, I shouldn't say probably. I've heard you debunk it a bit on your episodes, but safety is the the reason this stuff is so cheap. The reason everyone's not leaving to moving to Latin America is because you know, out of the let's say four hundred fifty, I don't know, four hundred million people in North America, let's say probably three hundred and ninety or maybe three hundred and fifty million of them think, oh, Latin America, it's a, it's not safe. Like that, that is that is a a big 
uh, sort of bulwark or dam that's stopping more people from just getting up and moving to Latin America. They believe, you know, the the safety of you know, their, their suburb in Minneapolis or Vancouver is just the first world. And down there is the third world. I'm not saying I believe that, but, um, yeah, I have, I have a lot of answers yeah, to this. Yeah. Take the floor. One, the first one would be the, the famous, uh, Benjamin Franklin or Andrew Jackson quote, which is like those who will give up freedom for a little bit of safety deserve neither something to that extent. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so it's pretty hard to balance freedom and safety as a society, but you know, I think, uh, erring on the side of freedom is is probably better. Here's the thing is I think Canada, the US and Europe have become significantly less safe, even just in the past five or 10 years. Canada is way less safe. Vancouver is like an open air drug market. You know, Toronto is homeless, crazy, crazy homeless people on every corner. Europe is way less safe than it is. Like you're, you're even in Europe, your apartment's going to get broken into and there's like a lot more street crime, especially in like Spain and, and certain spots. So th- I think that's part of it is like that uh, those these places that used to be kind of perfect, whether it be Northern Europe, like Sweden or Toronto or something like that, these places that kind of used to be perfect, they're really not perfect anymore. And it's going to be hard to put the genie back in the bottle. So they're probably never going to be perfect again. And so it's kind of a case of the legacy brand and the reality just not catching up on the ground where, you know what I mean? Like it still has a, a good reputation from 50 years of a good reputation, but it's not quite that amazing on the ground anymore. Well, there's definitely a strong, I believe, and I think agree with you that there's a strong chance that a certain kind of Ponzi scheme is going to come to an end in the sense of, you know, 40 years ago, I don't know, 35 years ago, going on 20 years ago, there were as a stereotype, and maybe there was some truth to it, or there probably was some truth to it 20 years ago, 25 years ago, that there's like seven or eight countries that people want to go to that are the first world, that if you could just save up enough, you might immigrate. And, you know, it's England, Australia, Canada, the United States, France. And if you're from Tunisia or Serbia or Pakistan, you know, you might go for a better life to one of the developed countries. And it's a much more level playing field, setting even aside the multipolarness of, you know, U.S. versus China and, and India and Russia and the alliances there. Just across the world, I think the legacy brands, which is a good term that you've used, are going to realize that you can't just say, you know, hey, we're the, we're the best, you know, like you, 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 we're luxury, you know, c- come on, like everybody wants to be here. People are, you know, settling down in, in Colombia or Portugal or Croatia and, and you know, dozens, you know, 50, 100 other countries start to become not exactly the same, but equally attractive or more attractive for their freedom, for their cost of living. It's just going to be a death yeah. spiral of, well, okay, oh crap, our tax base isn't growing as much as we thought and our birth rate isn't up as much as we thought. So we're going to need more tax or monetary based inflation to somehow pay the bills. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's not going to work the way that the policymakers think it is. And that's going to be difficult for, to to get into this sort of a bit of a fall of Rome. It's not going to be fast. I don't think there's going to be like an apocalypse in British Columbia and in London, but there's going to be a slow flatlining that just not, it's not, it's not going to, return to what it was. Yeah, I, th- I think the thing is, is just life was very easy in Canada and the USA and Switzerland for a very long time where you got rich basically just existing 
and working like an average job and buying a house when you were supposed to buy a house and the house goes up, you know, 15, 20% a year. And so all our parents' generation and the baby boomers, they all got rich just working a job, getting um, overpaid, for, uh, above, as uh, Seth Godin would call it, above average pay for, for below average work. And that's basically how the economy worked in, in Canada and all these other places. It was just above, above average pay for average work. But now kind of with globalization and kind of a much more globally competitive marketplace where for goods and services, we're competing for, against the world in a way that we were not 15, 20 years ago. I think that fact alone of the increased competition, I think that alone has a lot of pressure on wages and it's going to bring down wages in the West and subsequently kind of raise wages in the East or in you know low low wage areas. And so everything's going to kind of regress a little bit towards the mean. So um, it's just not as stark of a difference now and in the future as it was in the past. Yeah, I mean, in, I think in general, so many aspects of the world are getting better. If you look at who's dying of malaria, how much is the, how much of a middle class is there? There's a lot of, there's like a classic graph that shows a bunch of stuff getting better, but for this specific group of privileged, you know, born in the 20th century, middle of the 20th century, it is flatlining and getting worse. So it feels to them like there's this decline, but it's sort of like they're in a little tiny little group that's declining and everywhere else is getting more chances. It's not going to be equality of outcome for everybody, but they're there's like there's never been more opportunity to make Wi-Fi money from anywhere and not have to like get the wait seven years for the green card to get to the United States to get the taxi driver job to someday have your child have a better life. You can, you know, most people could theoretically, you know, open up their uh, phone, you know, even if they can't afford a laptop, start trying something. And uh, there's the opportunity to to make a better life. That's the thing about remote work is you got to be good, especially with remote work. You know, if you're the only plumber in town, I guess you can be average. But if you're doing something online where you're really competing against the world, you got to be good. You got to be unique. And so, you know, it's a double edged sword because you get that freedom of working online and you can travel the world and all these things that uh, I wouldn't trade for anything. But, you know, there's definitely a, a pressure to perform or to have um, some sort of special skill set that can't be outsourced. So I'm I'm not in my twenties. I'm a little older than that. But in terms of some, I'm 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 sure a lot of your audience are people that are curious. They're not necessarily already in Latin America. They're not necessarily remote workers, but they're curious. And you are they're remotely, remotely curious. curious. And Bada bing. boom. And so let's say there's some remotely curious person who's one generation younger than me, and it's a you know a 21 year old in Ottawa, Canada. They're they're sitting there listening to my Latin life and. You know, they're talking to their friend. What are you doing? Oh, well, I just graduated from, from uh, I don't know, McGill, and I'm going to go work for the Ministry of Trees for the rest of my life or whatever, some job yep. in Ottawa, or I'm going to go and do this. And they're listening to my Latin life, and they're thinking, you know what? I've got 3K in the bank from such and such <laughs> summer painting job. I'm going to take it. Yep. I'm, I'm going to Latin America. Yeah. Oh, the summer painting job's classic. <laughs> yeah. That's a that's yeah. a Canadian rite yeah. of passage. Yeah, summer painting job, um, taking the go train. College pro college painters. Pro painters. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Summer two thousand four. College pro painter signs everywhere. <laughs> Listening to the white stripes. Yeah. Um, so if they're if they're thinking I want to go to Latin America, do you have opinions on like, okay, if you're gonna go to Latin America, you're twenty one, you got three k. Where what where should they start? <laughs> what what should they do first? 
Okay, I guess the goal is how long are you trying to make that 3K last? Because 3K is not that that much. Well, let's say they're trying to they're trying to make it. Yeah, they don't want to come back to college pro painters next summer, and they don't have a lot. So I'm just here. Is there a launching pad that's the best for extending the runway on an absolute shoestring budget? Well, basically, you need to start making money online as soon as possible uh, to extend your runway. And um, I remember there was a phrase that that someone told me when I first started working remote and was uh, much closer to paycheck to paycheck than I am now. And uh, someone said to me in the first couple of months, they said, hey, man, if you can make this work now, you can do this the rest of your life. And so I knew if, is, is, is if I could just get it to start working and get, get the train chugging, then I could keep things afloat basically inevitably or, you know, forever. Um, because I would have found kind of product market fit in terms of finding a product or service uh, to sell into the marketplace and basically just get a paycheck. So what would I do? Well, I would basically just start grinding on LinkedIn for remote jobs, and I would just apply to hundreds of jobs a day. I would be thoughtful about uh, your resume and the story that you're telling and being able to uh, you know, speak well when you're getting those, uh, those phone calls. Uh, you know, the first like filter phone call and tell a good story about how you're going to make a difference for the company. And basically just grind on LinkedIn until you get some job offers. And uh, I, I, I typically recommend people start with a remote job uh, instead of entrepreneurship or, you know, starting a company. I think a remote job is just easier to get. It's more secure and it's just going to get you there faster compared to uh, a job and, trying to do drop shipping or, <laughs> yeah. you know, whatever kind of like the business model du jour yeah. uh, is of the day, copywriting <laughs> agency. Yeah, there's so much, um, there's so much influencer marketing around quit your job, become a nomad, move to Latin America and make money online. Like all at once is like the, the dream. It's like, it's like learning a language and getting divorced and moving yeah, all at so once. I, I think about, we, we call it monkey branching. And so you think about if you're Tarzan in the jungle, you don't let go of the previous branch or vine until you firmly grasp the new vine. And so what I would say is to the extent that you can monkey branch into remote work, it's just going to make things a lot smoother. There's no reason for this to be a chaotic transition. Like, I, like <laughs> there's no reason for this to be chaotic, chaotic at all, because you got to keep in mind that everyone gets paid online already. Anyway, you already get paid online, dear listener, because, you know, no one's giving you cash. No one's giving you a physical check that you have to bring to the bank in cash. You're already getting paid online. You're getting paid direct deposit. The money is going to your bank account digitally, right? The only problem is that people are providing an in-person service, such as being a nurse or a firefighter or a carpenter or whatever. That's, that's what makes it you know, not remote is that you're providing an in-person service. You're already getting paid online, but you're providing an insert in-person service to get paid online. And so you just need to start providing a service that you can complete online. Makes total sense. Yeah. And I think everyone's first monkey branch may not be the same and you don't need to look at someone else's, someone who's already a react front end web developer, their first monkey branch to move from San Francisco to Latin America is going to be a different monkey branch than a plumber that decides, okay, I've got, I've got some plumbing cash saved up. I want to move to Latin America, different monkey branch. They're going to need to solve something else first. 
Whereas the React developer might just say, okay, well, I'll get a React job and then I'll move and da 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 da. Like it's, and so it's good to distinguish between that. And I think it was kind of muddy and the, the whole space got a bit of a bad rap from the mainstream media because this was so m- muddy and mixed up. And I think you got it right for, for probably 95% of people do not become an entrepreneur. It is an extra, extra level of stress on top of learning Spanish or Portuguese and finding your accommodation and dating and everything else. If you just kind of, you know, find that remote job, that's like a, that's a monkey branch that's way lower hanging than, you know, 10K a yes. month in Wi-Fi entrepreneur passive money. So, so it makes sense. Yeah. Th- I mean, there's no, there's no perfect answer because you can get a job already on the ground in Mexico. I've had buddies do it. I've changed, changed jobs while I was, you know, outside the U S where I had uh, a remote job and then I had to get another one. And sometimes there's complications. Like I have to get a new laptop shipped to me, or maybe I have to go to the States for a week to, you know, do some paperwork or something. But you, you, t- you could totally just, you know, take the flight and, and figure it out on the ground. But I don't know. I just, I don't think these things need to be overly chaotic necessarily. I think I saw, maybe you're tweeting about it or the My Latin Life said it somewhere. I don't know. But you, you mentioned that you still actually do spend some time in Europe, you know, a month or two in Europe. What's your actual uh, cycle like in terms of your your bases? What where are you nomad, and has that changed? And do you see that changing in the next couple of years? What what do you actually do? You know, January to December for your for your cycle. <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think it's definitely changed over time. I think um, I try to travel in a way where there's a purpose to where I travel to. Um, typically it's been chasing a residency where you got to spend a little bit of time on the ground or, uh, just doing different tramites, uh, basically, uh, you know, paperwork tasks. Um, so I try to travel with purpose generally, and I try to weave things together where I just try to like weave things together where maybe I have, um, a business purpose, but also buddies or a hobby I want to do or a city that I want to check out. So it's not too much just you know eating gelato and looking at architecture i try to travel with purpose and i think that everyone else should too because at the end of the day if you're going to be spending time away from your family and stuff or other obligations you might have somewhere else in the world you should be doing so for a good reason and so i think um even something as simple as learning the language i think is a a worthwhile endeavor but try to travel with purpose basically have you ever shared publicly your target residency strategy the countries that interest you and where you're where you're building out residencies and bases um i've definitely hinted here and there uh and i'll I'll tell people offline uh for the most part i don't know if i've ever actually said a to z everything i have going on um put me on the spot how much should i reveal so i do i do admit that i may or may not be a canadian american dual citizen and that I have uh, multiple residencies uh, in Latin America and in different places. How much can I reveal? I mean, I was definitely one of the first people to do uh, Paraguay uh, before before the pandemic uh, to give uh, one time denotement, I guess. So I've, I did Paraguay even before the pandemic. So long before it got super, super popular. You know, Mexico as well, I often comment as one of my bases. Panama, I comment as well as being one of my bases. Um, 
Portugal as well. I, I say may or may not be one of my bases. Yeah, and more to come. Would you say that uh, maybe coming at this from a, a more generic angle, sort of the same topic, but a little bit more generic so you don't have to say anything specific. Would you say that like the reason some some of the people in this space are, you know, bow-tied gentlemen or anon whatever, is is that specifically to make sure that the Her Majesty's Revenue and the IRS and the CRA can't just get get information? Is that the main benefit of uh, of a decent, you know, anon anonymous strategy? Is, is that the, the the driver of that for for folks? Not saying you, but you know, certain folks where it's like, okay, they're behind an avatar and they're um, they have a different name or, or whatever. No one needs to justify what they do, but I, I just assume that's sort of why. But I don't know if there are other reasons why, you know, benefits for, you know, for someone who's considering whether to be themselves or be a non, you know, pros and cons. Yeah, I think this space is tough. I think uh, people probably aren't, you know, no one's like super shady that I come across in the, in the industry, really. Everyone seems like pretty uh, well-intentioned and above board. I think, uh, you know, it's just like unnecessary scrutiny, even like an audit, even if you've done everything right, an audit is still a huge uh, investment in terms of dealing with an audit and presenting all the documents and just like the mental load and everything. So people just don't want to deal with that type of stuff. And I mean, I think it works for, for both people. I honestly, I don't see too, too many semi and non people that take it super far. I feel like most people kind of like reveal eventually. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, it's, it's I don't there even if know. You want to look, um, but they're not going to go out of their way to be like, here's my, you know, social security number and my address and all that obviously. <laughs> yeah. I was talking to like wealthy expat about this. I was, you know, I, I asked him today, I was like, you know, why do you come out and say that your name is Raphael instead of just, you know, saying wealthy expat. And, you know, he just kind of said, uh, this is me and I want to be trustworthy. And we're in the, we're in the offshore space, which is already very smoke and mirrors and low trust. And so I thought, you know, I'd be more high trust by just putting my name out there. So that's what Andrew Henderson did. That's, I guess, what Raphael from Wealthy Expat did. So I think it does, uh, you know, it, it can help in the industry. I think both are both are good. It just depends where you want to send your, like, notoriety and stuff. It's funny because uh, it's it's like I'm in a funny spot personally right now because now I'm at the place where if I go anywhere in Latin America, I can just tweet that I'm there and get, like, a squad to come out for – uh, for steak and cigars, or even like host like a impromptu event, or um, you know like a summit or meetup or something like that. I've I've already been doing a bunch of bunch of meetups in different cities, and I could probably do them even bigger. But it's funny because you know they're they're kind of meeting up with like a semi anonymous figure. But that's the idea. Is it's really it really puts the mirror back on everyone else. Like if you look at my Telegram groups, um, I have. A bunch of free Telegram groups that maybe you can be so kind as to link up in the show notes for this. And it's just like totally um, everyone contributing and saying stuff and, hey, what's up with this? I heard they closed this program. How do I cross this border? If I use this bank account, can I use crypto with it? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm not even really engaging all that much. Like, I don't really feel like I need to engage. Everyone is already contributing so much. And so, uh, you know, I guess it's more community first, uh, this way with the semi-anonymous things. It's really all about the community. And I think a lot of people get a lot of good information from reading the comments on my tweets and being part of these groups and stuff. Yeah. You, you mentioned Andrew Henderson who runs uh, nomad capitalist. I think for a lot of people that aren't familiar with this space, but happen to use YouTube 
um, nomad capitalists, you know, they tend to pe- publish a fresh video on a certain topic. Like it seems like every 20 minutes all day long for years and years. And there's tens of thousands of their videos. So they're, they're just a high pro they're prolific in, in publishing videos and they've established a brand. They're unabashedly upscale. You know, he says, I help seven and eight and nine figure entrepreneurs or whatever he says. I help really, really rich people. Only, only 11 figures. I help 11 figure entrepreneurs, you know, yeah, get a tax lawyer or whatever. Um, (laughs) But it seems like there's going to be so many more people that are just decent, awesome, hundred thousand heirs and millionaires or whatever. Um, that it may be, you know, for what they might not qualify for the prestigious nomad capitalist tax lawyer reselling program. So <laughs> do, do, do you think, do you think that there's an opportunity there or, you know, what do you like, this is what's going on in the telegram group. There's probably a bunch of people looking for this kind of service. Like, have you been to the cat nomad capitalist event? Is it, is it one of these things where there's a huge gap in the market for someone to come in and compete? Are people already competing with that brand? I am being a little bit facetious about the brand, but it's only because I think my thesis is like there's room to compete there. Like they they're they're established, but they've got they're really very specific about how they present themselves. Um, yeah, of course. I think um, I think there's so many sub niches in this that um, there's definitely like a lot of nooks and crannies that people haven't even talked about yet. Like even something like birth tourism. Uh, it's becoming more popular, you know, having a baby in Mexico or Brazil. And, you know, there's all these questions around, okay, so the baby gets a citizenship, the parents get maybe permanent or temporary residency, and then they can work towards citizenship, blah, blah, blah. So people kind of know about Mexico and Brazil, but this birth tourism thing basically works in every country in Latin America. And no one's ever really like compiled all the information from every country about like exactly how it works and stuff. So someone could even make like a niche fully devoted to that and build a business around that. And I'm sure they do well. So there's like a million sub niches because we're just at such a a very, maybe that's a bad example, but Curtis, like we're at such an interesting place and, you know, pretty good timing starting the podcast. And I know you had on um, the Palau guy, Jay, yeah. Uh, Jay talking about the plow e residency. We're at this really interesting time where there's all these sort of like trends and new ideas that are on a Venn diagram related, as you said, and they just over and they're going to overlap in very cool and interesting ways. So you have uh, crypto, you have uh, residency programs, you have people having dual triple citizenship, you have e residencies, you have tax havens, you have all these crazy things. I didn't even name one fifth of the the topics that are in my head, you know, in terms of all these things that are really sort of converging now in different ways. We're starting to see one of my one of my favorite accounts, you should try to get this guy on your podcast too. I've been trying to do it for a while is um the Sultan of Slow Jamistan. I'm not sure yeah. if you've seen Slow Jamistan on, yeah, on Twitter or anything. It. It's just hilarious. It's like this guy uh who uh bought a little bit of like an acre in the desert in in California. And he said, I'm going to create a new country. It's called Slow Jamistan. And it's like one of the hottest micro nations. And there's this whole idea of micro nations now that started with uh, started with Lieberland and with Sealand, which was like an oil rig. I think it's even still going Sealand. Um, and, you know, the so there's this whole like micronation world and slow jamistan is just hilarious. It's like this guy is like a radio DJ 
that has like it's like slowjams.fm or something like that and he just named yeah. his country slow jamistan <laughs> well and there's a new generation too there's like prospera and praxis and Plumia. yeah that's a whole and that's yeah. a whole different thing uh free trade zones uh special economic zones we've had a couple guys on the podcast talk about that um and so there's all these just like different things that are converging in really cool ways and it it makes you start thinking like what is a country and what is citizenship and our ideas around uh, citizenship and what a country is in the nation state. These ideas are probably going to change rapidly over the next hundred years. Yeah. Uh, one question I had, and I, this is a, sort of from a point of ignorance, but for, for birth tourism, it makes sense, the concept, but it, it's, it's the idea that you can receive citizenships if a child is born in a certain country. But in practice, is that literally like, okay, your wife or girlfriend is eight months pregnant. You get a you know get a tourist visa to go to Brazil, hang out in Brazil, get a nice Airbnb for two months, and then you wait. <laughs> and then one day it's like you know here we are we're we're um, visiting this country. The baby's born, and boom, a passport is created. Like I, I'm, I'm kind of saying like, is it that easy? Not not that that's easy. There, that's quite a little process to go through. But is it really just kind of visiting a country when someone's pregnant so that the baby pops and then you get a passport? Yeah. Um, how, you know, how far do you want to take this back? So there's kind of two schools of thought around this and it's called, um, it's like two Latin terms. It's like juris sanguinis, which is like uh, citizenship by blood and then juris something. And that's uh, citizenship based on place of birth. And uh, I'm the worst. You're, you're uh, bringing the Latin into my Latin life for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm not doing this super well. But it, basically, long story short, in the uh, in the Americas, we have this system of citizenship by place of birth. So if you're born in a country, you become a citizen there. That's not necessarily the case in Europe or Asia. Just because you, a baby is born in Germany does not necessarily make it German or just because a baby is born in Japan does not necessarily make it Japanese. If the parents haven't accomplished, you know, five years of residency or they're not both citizens or blah, 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 any amount of complications. And so the world is actually quite cleanly split in terms of the Americas, the Western hemisphere being uh, citizenship by birth. And then uh, the rest of the world being more about kind of bloodline and uh, where the, the the citizenship of the parents are from. So I think that's one of the things that's actually attractive about Latin America. Just another plus in the long list of pluses about Latin America is that you have um, uh, you know all these opportunities around birth tourism that oftentimes don't exist in the old world. Yeah, we'll we'll link to the map in the show notes, but I've seen it. And if you literally look at it, it's exactly like you say, you know, the Americas are colored almost entirely one color. And then most of the rest of the world is colored another way. It's kind of um, choosing my Latin life and Latin America as the the place to promote. I, you know, I know you do more than promote it. You educate about it. But there, there's other places in the world that are interesting nomad hotspots. You know, Southeast Asia has a reputation going back at least several decades um, but there is something that I've heard that's just a, it's a core reality. It, I don't consider it xenophobic or racist when people say it, but it's just that, you know, moving to Latin America, it is multicultural and people from around the world can integrate there. Something that is for non-Thai people, for non-Vietnamese, for non-Japanese, non-Chinese, that is harder to do when you go to some of the Asian countries, whether they're Asian remote work or nomad or backpacker hotspots or sovereign individual hotspots. There's just something about Latin America 
in the nature of it being part of the Americas and having a certain history, you know, somewhere like Brazil, there's no way, you know, nobody looks like a Brazilian in a way that's not going to be quite the same. If you are in love mm-hmm. with uh, a beautiful place like Thailand, mm-hmm. you're not going to, even if you learn Thai, even if you're, you've got the, the cojones to learn a different script in a harder language for someone who speaks English or a romance language, it's still going to be a much longer journey or never to become Thai, where I don't, I don't feel the same way about Latin America, right? There's no way. There's, is, I don't even think it's possible to become Thai, even if you marry a Thai woman and your kids are Thai. I, I don't think it's even possible to naturalize uh, at this point in time. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy. I mean, the thing that's the thing about Asia as a whole is you can't really naturalize as a citizen in East Asia with rare exceptions. Uh, like maybe in Cambodia, maybe in Taiwan, I think maybe in Philippines, not sure about that, but the other countries, you just, you can't even naturalize, you can't even become a citizen. And so, you know, it's harder. And also they, they don't really give permanent residency out that much either. So you're just going to be on this perpetual temporary residency. And so just, you know, as a human, it's, it's very tough to mentally commit to life in a place where you're not a permanent resident, you'll never become a citizen, and you'll probably never master the language. So I think Asia's maybe cool for Australians or cool in your 20s and stuff. But uh, long term, I don't think it makes sense for most people. I mean, obviously, there, you know, when you go to these places, you'll meet some old alcoholic British veteran or something like that. And those guys are always fun to be around. But I think, uh, you know, long story short, Asia is just, uh, it's harder to uh, set, settle and build roots in compared to Latin America and, and maybe Europe. I've already said this a couple of times, but you've had an amazing breadth of guests and all kinds of different stories have been told on your podcast. One that I thought was, it was funny, inspiring, surreal, and a bit zany all at once was, uh, there's a story of Dylan Madden uh, trying to meet Andrew Tate for the first time, which okay. I just thought was like, a, a, like it was like a tale. It was, it's like, I heard he was going to be in Washington, D.C. And then Dylan, you know, drove in a car to, to meet him. And he was like, it was just, it's like a, whoa, I didn't, I never thought I would hear you know, this kind of story about a, you know, controversial, but very popular public figure and someone that was, that was close to him. So there's all kinds of stories embedded. Do you have any, do you have any favorites or kind of things you learned or thought were like highlights if someone was going to go back and they say, okay, I've got five episodes in me. Oh man. Tell me, tell me more because I enjoy hearing it from you. Cause I, I don't really have people tell me that often, as I said before, I don't like when you say, you know, you listen to that. I, I think that's epic. And uh, people don't tell me it enough. Like anything else come to mind? Maybe you had Jay from Palau because I, I think I was like the first one to have him on a podcast. It was the inspiration for me knowing Jay even better and inviting him on, on this pod. The great thing yeah. about Jay, which is another one I enjoyed, was it really kind of solidified for me in your conversation with him. It's kind of like it's like this insider thing where if you were talking to the lead and I think this is a, a this is a kudos to Jay and and big ups to Jay. If you were talking to like a director of a ministry of a program from like the British Ministry of Immigration or the Canadian such and such in Ottawa, and you had them on the pod about some program, they'd probably be like, "Well, we're very excited about our new S four visa, and we <laughs> believe it will help all Britons." And the Canadian thing would be the same. It'd be like, "Oh, you know, all Canadians need a chance to grow and prosper." And <laughs> wow, that's a good English uh, yeah. Canadian accent. You can just turn that on and off. 
I had a startup that we um, built and sold a startup in the 2010s. And over, over that time, I, I moved to New York to run it and to raise VC money and, and build out the market. And for like the first two months, actually going even before that, when I was just on the phone trying to sort of talk to customers, we had US customers. It was like US healthcare market. Yeah, and they're they like, are you from, from Canada? Are you from Minnesota? Are you from Canada? And I got so tired of that. That was like the <laughs> third thing they would say. So I just, I just sort of slightly altered my voice to be a little bit more American and it's stuck with me, but you know, I can, I can always turn on, you know, there's a Canucks game coming. We're going to go get seats. Hey, <laughs> you know, get me a, get me a Stella, get me a Kokanee, Nader Meyer at funny, the blue bro. line. Um, <laughs> That's funny. I've never oh, heard someone yeah. like really put it on like that. It's bad funny. I can't yeah. really do that. And um, the, you know what Canadians will always say? It, it like this is so. This is kind of this is kind of Vancouver, BC too. There's a different kind of uh, you know Montreal thing and the Ontario thing. But they'll always say like, oh, we don't have an accent. It's it's just the California accent. And it's like, no, it's no, it's fucking not. The California accent is like, hey man, let's go to Newport Beach and do this and that. And the Canadian accent's like, oh yeah, I was driving up to Nanaimo, you know, and I'm going to going to Tofino. It's like, it's not, it's not, it's not the same accent. You're lying to yourselves. So yeah, you're, you're, oh, yeah, you're full of it. No, you you just can't. You're a goldfish that doesn't know you're in water in a goldfish bowl. It's like there's there is 100 an accent. I I I also thought that maybe my uh, Canadian esque tendencies would be a bit of a detractor on the podcast as well. And I definitely wish I had a bit more of like a gravelly radio voice, but, um, such, such is Canada. <laughs> well, I don't, I mean, it's a very, like, it's kind of a weird thing. You would never get, I don't know what it's, maybe it's like someone from the North of England trying to get rid of the North England thing to, to work in London, but like, what other country is someone saying like, Oh, I kind of want to be you know, I, I changed my accent. I mean, I guess that probably happens all in all kinds of places, but uh, I don't think like, you know, a British person that comes to work in America from Britain doesn't like, okay, I need to put on an American accent like and change, you know, like, like a Hollywood actor, like Christian Bale. When I started spending more time in the States, I definitely made some adjust adjustments to my English. Like we, we used to say um, in Canada, we would say Southern. And then uh, you go to the States and you learn that it's Southern, not Southern. Yeah. And uh, I had to change that one just to not get like ridiculed. Yeah, there's little little things like even just in Canada, people might say like, "Where have you been?" But in America, it's like, "Where have you been?" And, and like even just, I think that like there's just things you don't even know about where yeah, yeah. like if you're gonna say I'm not, I won't. You might say like I'm not gonna. Like that might be something <laughs> I hear someone like hear someone say in like Vancouver Island, "I'm not gonna." Uh, and uh, it, no one would say that in you know the East Coast of America. I'm not gonna. <laughs> it's funny. By the way, uh, another random question uh, I was going to ask you is, uh, eh, tell me if I'm remembering this correct, but do you have Irish citizenship by descent? No, I mean, my last name is Irish, but the, the Irish person would be like from the 1830s if there was one. Okay. Duggan is a, is a fairly common Irish clan name. It but, is, uh, it is. It's too far back, I think. I think the potato famine or something. Yeah, I gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. It'd be nice to just get automatic EU citizenship. I remember when I was a teenager hearing about someone it's like, well, my grandma's British or my my grandpa's Portuguese, so I got an EU passport. I'm like, you're so lucky, whatever. I, I didn't even know why I thought they were lucky, but yeah. Another random uh, theme for you, uh, I guess as two uh, podcasters uh, talking amongst each other, is, uh, you know, you talked a bit about just my guest strategy or, or and that kind of thing. I would say that it's been so natural, man. I've never been at a point where I've been like, oh my God, I need to start reaching out. I don't have enough guests. I need to fill the spots. Dude, it's just, I, without even reaching out really, almost just by 
inviting on people I'm already talking to, I, I just say, hey, you open a guesting on? They're like, oh, yeah, when? And then I just send them to the link and uh, they they uh, they sign up. And I've never really done any serious outreach, so it's been all pretty normal. And so I think that's um, probably contributes to the range of guests. I think about the order too. Like I think about, okay, if the last two or three guys have been like real estate bros, I need to switch it up and get you know someone from a different background on the podcast. And so I try to not have more than like two in a row that are super similar. And so maybe even if I like the, the, the order that they're published in might not be the order that I film them in just because I want to have every single episode be a little bit different after each other. I think I, I didn't do a good job in the, uh, some of the most recent episodes cause I had a, a bunch in a row about real estate, but we're trying to do that. We're trying to have like one episode as an adventure and then one episode as a tax professional and then one episode as a YouTuber and, you know, just kind of constantly kind of work around the the uh the milieu of different uh people that we can get and so i've never had to i'm I'm at like 100 episodes and i've never even had to really do any outreach uh which which is kind of interesting yeah i've heard that i've heard that in a few at a few junctures in a few places that after a reasonable amount of success and not not a giant amount of success but a, a decent bar the the strategy often just becomes about triaging all the inbound requests well i i would say though that i i'm not just letting people in off inbound i think i've only i actually don't even receive that much inbound uh surprisingly um i don't have too many people that hit me up or have an assistant hit me up and say like hey this person would be excellent for your podcast i actually don't receive all too much of that um it's happened a couple times and like one or two, I, I had that recently with, um, actually, uh, David Lesperance, who's like a Canadian, very famous Canadian tax lawyer mm-hmm. who speaks about, uh, Canadian American cross-border issues and, you know, kind of for like dual citizens living in Canada, that kind of thing. So he's like super well-known. He goes to conferences and, um, I got a, a letter from like a, a middleman, like podcast scheduler company. Uh, like totally unrelated. And they're like, Hey, like David Lesperance wants to go on your podcast. Uh, if you'll be so kind to have him. And I'm like, what? That's crazy. That'd got to be like a dream guest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I would have reached out to him anyway. And so I said yes to that. Uh, so that's one, but really I would say 90% of the guests or more are like straight from Twitter and maybe a couple Instagram where I like maybe DM the person or something, but it's really almost all like Instagram and, and Twitter, mostly Twitter. It's good that you clarify that. I, I actually would say that the genesis of this podcast, it, it, I might be embellishing it a little bit, but it's partially, for some reason, in the course of going to a few remote work events and talking to people and like meeting up with people, you know, meeting up with people in a city. Um, I'm not like as big on Twitter about like, hey, I'm in this city. I don't think I'm that popular yet to do what you do. But but at certain times, I've like talked to people about like a niche SEO site I have that's about remote work blogging. And at some point, like it's almost like they misunderstood that it's like prior to this podcast launching six weeks ago, they're like, oh yeah, I should come on to your to your to your podcast. Like when it was just a site, like there was no podcast. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And I said that enough times. And like one time I actually like committed to it even though I don't have one. So it's like, oh, okay, I guess I need to make a podcast now. So I'm, I'm kind of embellishing the story, but there was a, almost an element of like, it happens naturally. And then 
you know, I also like you're way, 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 you know, ahead in terms of volume and quality and, and maturity of what you've done. But I do start to see how I don't know about the second two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a certain way, maturity of uh, of the length, you know, the amount of episodes. I, I I've got stamina for an hour. We're at the hour mark here. I know you got you probably have more stamina than me. I don't. I feel like if I hit this is just like I'm switching gears here, just just, just riffing, but. I think what I don't know how to do yet is sustain two hours the way you do. So I feel like, yeah, we'll be wrapping up in five or 10 minutes and I'll be like, okay, I need to go get a, go hydrate, go do some hot yoga and lie down because like that hour takes a lot out of me. I'm thinking on the spot, but uh, you've got the, the, the Rogan stamina to go for a, a, a decent length. So I got to work on that. I think. Yeah. I try not to, um, I don't want to take, I want to be respectful of my guests and I don't want to make them Rogan episodes, but almost no one needs to or wants to hang up after just an hour i think everyone's pretty chill about like and i don't know but yeah all the episodes kind of end up being like an hour and a half to two hours i had that with an episode that just got recorded it's not out yet and it was booked for an hour where you know one or both of us had to stop and it was an hour and when we got to 55 minutes, we were getting heated, not with each other, but like emo- like about a certain topic, kind of about the community. Mm-hmm. And it was it. and it was like, okay, now we're just getting started. We got to know each other for 40 minutes and now we're just getting started. So I, I might have to adjust this. I've been, um, you know, being re- respectful, conservative and cautious about how good I am at podcasting to make to, to book hour long slots and not, you know, drag someone along for two hours if I'm not ready to be. Well, here's the the thing about only scheduling it for an hour, and I only schedule for an hour too, is then my calendar looks open and someone tries to schedule something right after and I'm like, let's be serious. Like, this this is not, I'm not going to be able to make this. Like, (laughs) there's no way I'm doing this podcast in an hour. I think there's only been one that's been less than an hour, which was uh, Lattice Last, The Wandering Investor, and it was like 38 minutes or something. I'm sure I could get it, like we're... We're, we have a better relationship now, so I'm, I'm sure I could get him on and do a Joe Rogan one with him. But uh, that's how it was uh, like a year ago. But yeah, they're pretty long. I mean, I think there's a lot of value in like the transcripts and stuff. If if uh, once the AI gets good enough, they can just go through the back catalog and like do some stuff with it. That's strategic. That's uh, thinking ahead of ten steps ahead of everyone. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. I, I've actually been learning how to sort of. Uh, call the the api some of the i'm not like a i'm not a coder by background but i put a solid six months into trying to understand how ai tools are going to affect both entrepreneurship and consulting and jobs and just just like thinking about the next 30 years of making money and uh kind of getting ahead of ahead of things and it's going to be it's going to be wild it is going to be wild in the next couple of years how marketing works how content creation works uh I, i i look at the ai tools and it's like yeah there's a lot of the, the robot, the robots are here and it's not a joke. It's not for nerds. It's like the, the, they're powerful tools for doing things. And I, I don't know, I probably a topic for a, another episode with maybe a good idea. Actually, I should you know, bring someone on that like knows like really in depth about all this stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I wonder what Wi-Fi money is going to look like in five years with, with AI as a, as a bit of a non sequitur. This is kind of related uh, and you're closer to this than I am that, but I started going on LinkedIn more uh, with My Latin Life and I, I made a My Latin Life LinkedIn and I started connecting with, um, you know, investment migration professionals and remote work people and Chase Warrington and this and that. And I noticed that there's so many of these like remote work advocate people 
and I can't quite figure out what they actually do other than you're talking about me no I'm other than <laughs> other than advocate but like in like a corporate environment type of thing no i know what you mean it's it's like uh they, they write in that copywriting style but but it's sort of within a company and it's kind of like i'm trying to think of an example but it might be something like remote work is is not just a phase you know remote work is this here are the six best practices of remote work and it's like is this a job is this just an opinion is this just a hobby like what is the I know, I know the flavor of what you mean. Um, are you are you saying that it's interesting to you, off putting to you? Like, is it like do you do you resonate with this, or do you feel like it's kind of alien to you? Like, what's your reaction to seeing all this content like that? I don't know. I just feel like it's missing like some kind of oomph. You know what I mean? Like, it's just yeah. like kind of content for content's sake or something. Well, yeah. There's definitely like I think there's I'm even jealous or envious a bit of some of the more like. It, well, I've written about stuff and I'm kind of, I like to think about trends and technology, what's going to happen, but there's that kind of, uh, there's that kind of Hunter S Thompson esque, you know, like journalist in the middle of the jungle type of writing that are yeah. some of your guests yeah. are really good at. Yeah. That is uh very different from the LinkedIn crowd. And I think <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, it's where to place that needle. I think if you're, it's kind of where to be on that spectrum. I definitely could write something that's about like, I was in this neighborhood and was drinking on a Saturday night. And then this is what happened at two in the morning. I don't, I'm older now. I don't do as much of that, but there's, you know, there's some stories that could be told. Uh, but it's, I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't, I don't go there. I'm like, I'm a, I'm like a Jerry Seinfeld. I'm not a Dave Chappelle or whatever. You know, I just, I, I just skip that part. But then, you know, I get, I get jealous and envious where I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. These guys are going hard into that aspect of it. Almost. That's the entire thing. And that's, it's very compelling in a way that, plain vanilla remote work advocacy content is often not compelling at all. <laughs> yeah, I think what I would say is that my guests don't talk about how, you know, the world of work is changing. They're actually actively changing the world of work <laughs> yeah. themselves. Yeah. Uh, by by living interesting lives and and doing stuff like dude, like my my friends just like can't understand how I do what I do. I am hitting up like a new waterfall or volcano or whatever every single day and somehow getting all my work done. I was just going to say maybe maybe on that front when when you think about communicating what you do and then there's an there's an audience back home or whatever that doesn't get it what is it that you think that they don't get, you know? We're it's still it's this is still niche. The the vast majority kind of doesn't get it. Do you have any psychological theory on the average Torontonian being like, no, 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 I need to buy a house in Etobicoke and, uh, you know, uh, get a variable rate mortgage and I I'll, I'll won't lay on the Canadian accent too thick, but there's just, you know, the vast majority of people still don't get it. Yeah. There was something I wanted to mention earlier when we were talking about mon monkey branching, which is that uh, if you want to do like a slow monkey branch approach where, you know, you're going to wait till you get to the remote job and then go remote after you get the job, kind of more conservative approach. What I would suggest is to do a recon mission of a week or two and go to Colombia, go to Argentina, go to Mexico, whatever, uh, Brazil, and just kind of take it all in and take notes, maybe visit a couple cities that are at the top of your list that you think maybe have the right mix of uh, amenities and stuff that you're looking for. Maybe you want to check out Florianopolis. Maybe you want to check out Buenos Aires. Who knows? 
but go do the recon mission because it's just going to it's it's really just going to uh, concretize it in your mind more and make it more real and make and just basically sustain your motivation while you're doing all the trials and tribulations of all the job interviews or all the other you know random things that need to happen to set up your life in a more remote focused way because it's it's a bit hard to be like okay i'm gonna like you know switch my whole life up to be remote i'm gonna get the remote credit card and the remote health insurance and this and that with uh without having having you know tasted from the fruit so definitely go check it out first just so you know what you're missing and i think that gives you like a a much much better idea you know what i mean yeah no i i think that's a that's a great approach and can't stress enough how the consider a remote job, take baby steps, grab the monkey branches, do a recon mission is a, is a great approach. I think I hear my, my girlfriend's home and I'm, I'm 15 minutes are my, my standard one hour slot. So I might have to move to wrap up here, but just like we discussed, you know, once you get going, it's like you got enough to talk about for two or three hours effortlessly. So We'll have to do a, another episode uh, again soon. I'll, I'll, I'll we'll trade trade back. I've been on your podcast once, but whenever whenever the rotation opens up and the long list of people on your podcast for a repeat episode on my Latin life, I humbly offer my services to come back. But I'm sure you've got an, an endless queue of people that want to want to come on there. But uh, yeah, one way or another, let's do it again in another hour or two. Yeah, absolutely. What's the uh, the game plan for uh, remotely serious? Tell me a little bit about kind of like the guests and, and this and that. So Game Plan is the the most entertaining remote work podcast in the world. It may not be the m- most informative. It may not be the most focused on Latin America. It may not be the most, you know, best practices for enterprise teams. But I just want to build the number one most entertaining remote work podcast in the world and find advertisers that want to go along on that journey. I've already, you know, identified a few. I've got, I've got some friends, you know, and, and former, you know, business partners on my niche SEO site, Waviator, that I've advertised before that are, are great candidates for this kind of thing. But I'm, I'm focused on the vision of something that is entertaining for people that are interested in remote work. You know, that, that's a hard thing to do. What, does that mean funny? Does that mean charismatic? Does that mean, I, I don't know what it means yet, but I'm just putting that up on the whiteboard. No, I like that. I mean, it's an attention economy. Yeah. I'm an avid listener of other remote work podcasts. I It's almost 50% of my podcast feed. You know, My Latin Life, That Remote Life, About Abroad. I listen to all of them. I love all of them. So are there any other ones you want to sh- shout out? I'm just curious. So we got Chase, we got Midco, yourself. I don't know how often he publishes, but I do enjoy Consalo Hall's podcast. I think it's Remote Work Movement. I'll get this all correct in the show notes. I don't know. I think he publishes not on a weekly basis. It's every once in a while. But I, I often, I love anytime Liam Martin and the running remote folks, they're, they're a little bit more focused on running what remote, companies yeah. can do and like the and companies going remote. So it's uh, more on the corporate side, but I still, I'm still interested. I, again, I don't know the publishing schedule for that. And it may be offline right now um, in terms of an actual podcast. This is not specifically remote work podcast, but I listen religiously to Richard Beckson's number one Costa Rica real estate and investment podcast. It's very focused on Costa Rica. So if that's not your thing, you might not be interested. They don't talk about all of you know Central America. It's Costa Rica only. 
but uh, he we did a crossover episode that's coming out. It's going to already have come out when you listen to this right now, if you're listening. So you can go listen to it now. And I think that's just the uh, number one Costa Rica real estate and investment podcast. That's a bit more niche. No, that's cool. That's like the perfect type of stuff I like. So I'll, I'll take a look out for that. Dude, I'm, uh, I know you want to wrap up. I'm just super uh, jealous of the name, Remotely Serious. I think it's an excellent name. Very well done on that, whoever came up with that. Well, thanks. And I wouldn't say this just to return the compliment if I didn't believe it, but I think My Latin Life nails it too. There's no question what, what you're going to get when you uh, subscribe, um, <laughs> especially with the pink background, the palm tree, the font. I think you're doing all, doing all right with your own brand for sure already. So I appreciate the compliment. <laughs> Sick, man. I'm glad we got the chance to catch up. Yeah, thanks, Vince. Uh, let's do it again sometime. And uh, yeah, I hope to see you IRL uh, at one of your... Uh, one of your events sometime when I can we can make it down there. Yeah, that'd be great. Sweet. <laughs>